You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Lord, that you're welcome here. This is your house. Proverbs 18.10, the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. Lord, we just establish you again in this place as a strong tower. And as you walk up and down these aisles by the Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, would your purpose and your will and your abundance be poured out. We pray, God, would you open the eyes of our heart. We may know the hope of your calling, the glorious fruits of your inheritance and the saints, surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. We're just so grateful today, so grateful for your presence, so grateful for your nearness. So Lord, I pray as we open up your word, may it be living and active, may it be sharper than a two-edged sword, may it divide between soul and spirit and joint and marrow, may it judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart and heal, restore, and empower us to be holy and completely yours, we pray. Your precious name, amen. Amen. Don't you love Jesus? Man, he is present. He is here. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Hey, when you walked in, you got a little card and it says 1357 on it, okay? So everybody say 1357. We've been going over this for the last three weeks, the story of his glory, our part in it. This is what God has given us to kind of clarify. How do I get connected? How do I get engaged? And our prayer this morning, uh, before the services throughout the week is, God, let this be a moment and a space of connection, anchoring into Jesus, anchoring into his church. And again, we give you very practical ways to do that, uh, ways to get engaged so that you are clear about, all right, what does it mean to be a part of this house in this community? So please take that, use that as God would lead you guys. Well, um, Hey, I want to um, uh, start off by telling you a little bit of an uh, experience I had in 2017. Had the privilege of going to Alaska. A dear friend made an opportunity available for my two sons and my son-in-law. And there is another son-in-law, Brady. They were not married yet. Sorry, Brady. We'll get another trip uh, for you. This is his kind of a thing, to say the least. So anyway, we were in Alaska, and um, it was a fishing trip. And... Um, there we are. If you look at those guys, we were fishing uh, for halibut. We didn't even know what we were fishing for until the guide said, this is what we're fishing for. And um, you can see that intensity there. And man, these were like 15 to 25 pound fish. And we, we actually caught enough that would have lasted uh, a year, a year and a half for all of us. We took back, freeze dried all this meat. Uh, the only problem is that at our house, somebody a few months in pulled the plug accidentally on the freezer and... Um, that halibut's with Jesus instead of in our stomachs. Uh, so, but you know, always when you, when you fish, there's always the fish story. And we hassled Caleb a little bit. He was struggling. It's, it's hard in the ocean to actually pull up these fish. And so we got a little video of, of him uh, trying to describe to us what it's like for him. I think we got it. All right, Caleb, how we doing, buddy? How you feeling? We're hanging in there. Talk to the camera. It's a big boy. Huh? Definitely a 400 pounder on this. Isn't that easy? 400 pounds. Man, I'll tell you what, I would have had it up 30 minutes ago. <laughs> it wasn't 400 pounds. So. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Would have had it up 30 minutes ago if it wasn't 400 pounds. Uh, that is the fish story that is not true. So, uh, 
those things were a, a lot of fun. But I, I want to tell you kind of a, a lesson we learned from that fishing trip. And that was this, that the way, the way that they go out, you go out in these uh, little boats. And again, for, it was like a 25-foot boat, but it was built like a tank uh, because it's got to be made for these Alaskan waters. And they're more dangerous than you think they are. And so what they do is they get a coordinate um, uh, to uh, go to that will allow uh, where there's a shelf where they know all the fish will be, specifically for halibut, where it's shallower, where you can get to the fish. And um, so the guy drives out to the coordinate and out in this huge, I would call it a bay, but it was miles and miles of ocean. And we go out to this coordinate. He said, I think we're here. And he said, I'm going to drop the anchor and you guys kind of get your lines out and get going. And so while he's dropping the anchor, we're, we're doing all of our lines and everything else. And and uh, he's expecting it to start happening immediately. Like, man, we are on top of him. This will start happening. And then nothing's happening. Or I'm kind of like, okay, all right, you know. And about 20 minutes later, he looks up and he realizes that the anchor didn't, didn't lock in. And we literally had drifted two miles in 20 minutes. We were looking at the water. It was a little choppy, but we were looking at it as if we were standing still, knowing that it was a little choppy, but we literally were cruising uh, enough to, be, to drift two miles in 20 minutes. Well, of course, then he pulls the anchor back up. We go back around. He locks the anchor in, and then boom, immediately, all right, we're locked in because now here come the fish. Well, here's, here's what I realized in that moment. You know, so many times we're drifting and we don't know it. And now this, actually, we all do realize we're drifting as a culture. We're drifting as a church. We're drifting as the people of God. And so many times we don't realize it. But what we, uh, uh, to kind of take it to a spiritual illustration, Jesus said that he created us not only for himself, but he created us to be fishers of men. (laughs) He created us for a purpose and for a plan in our lives. And when we drift from that, and we, we have to continually come back and check, are we drifting? And when we are drifting, we've got to come back and anchor back in. And over and over again, there is this re-upping, anchoring back into Jesus, anchoring back into his church, his people, anchoring back into his purposes, because you are made to make it. But without the re-anchoring in, we're drifting by nature, definitely by culture, and it's time to anchor back in. One of the illustrations we've been using uh, over the last couple of weeks in this series is this clarity point. God created us. We sinned. That caused all the problems. God spoke to Abraham and a people called Israel to display his glory. And that's an amazing thing. The reason we read the Old Testament is to understand the examples and to learn the lessons from Israel. As we, as you know, they had a few high moments, but as a general rule, they struggled because they didn't have the spirit of God in them. They were trying to honor God with their own strength. But Jesus comes then and demonstrates the kingdom of God. And he says this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was coming as the Messiah. But when they heard the word kingdom, they were thinking Israel, a political king, a military king. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is among you. I'm not just coming to establish a nation for my glory. I'm trying, coming to establish a people for my glory. And it'll be from the inside out. And I love this definition of the kingdom. Wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. And wherever the king is not, there is not the kingdom. So when the king is ruling and reigning in our homes, in our businesses, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, when the king is 
ruling and reigning and being submitted to, then his glory is seen just like it did in the Old Testament in Israel, now is in and on and through the people of God, wherever the kingdom of God is being represented for the glory of God. Then Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you guys are all familiar with the story. Before he ascends to the Father, he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power to be my witness. And we see in Acts 2, the Spirit of God falls, the church is birthed. And now we have not just the person of Jesus, not just a people of Israel, but now the kingdom is for everyone, anywhere who would call on the name of Jesus. And then we would be the church who would house the kingdom of God and display the glory of God all over the earth. There it is. That's history. And as you saw in that big diagram, we, we talk about the, 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 um, uh, the, the, the 2022 piece right there. There we are in this journey and God is trying to restore his kingdom, his rule and reign in every space and place through the church. And, but the key is we have to anchor in. We have to anchor into Jesus and we have to anchor into his people in order to have the strength and the power to live on purpose for his glory. Okay, there we go. So now let's everybody, if you got a Bible, turn to Matthew 16. Very familiar story. We shared this a couple of weeks ago, a little bit of it, but this is so key because we're going to see again, a very familiar character in scripture, Peter, who is the ultimate drifter, right? He'd say, I'm all in. And then he'd be drifting, right? And I'm going to do this and he'd be drifting. Anybody relate to Peter, right? Right. Okay. So these people in the scriptures are identified so that God can let us know that he understands our problems and he has a solution for them. Let's, let's go into this scripture, Matthew 16, starting verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who, who do they say the son of man is? Who are the people around you? Who do they think that I am? Some said, you are John the Baptist. You're one who's calling people to repentance, man of God. Some say you're Elijah, man of all power. Some say you're a prophet like Jeremiah, weeping prophet, or, 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 one, you know, excuse me, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Now, let me just pause for a minute and say this to everybody. I never tire of that question because it's the question that I need on a daily basis. Every day, I need to re-clarify who is Jesus in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my home. That's why I have a devotional life every day and why I look at this character and the, and the, the nature of God through the word of God because I need to re-anchor in for who Jesus says he is. And then my experience is this, is that when I do that on a daily basis, God reveals himself in fresh ways that I need for that day. So this is not just the big theological, who do you say is? He is the son of God. There's death, burial, and resurrection. He provides salvation for all mankind. We're clear on the big truth, but there is a personal ask here for each of us. So who would you say that Jesus is today? Well, Peter answered, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. That word Christ means the Messiah. You're the holy one. You're the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, way to go, man. 
He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's why we pray, God, give me a spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of you. That's out of Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. I pray that consistently. Let me see you as you are by the Holy Spirit. Because again, with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And understanding who Jesus is comes by revelation. So then he says this, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. And when we talk about upon the rock of of revelation, this revelation of Jesus being the anointed one, the son of the living God is the rock of revelation that uh, will, that I will build my church through. So again, the church is not just a building. The church is not just a bunch of projects. It's surrendered people to God who understand that Jesus is Lord and the head of his church so that there is power in the church. And I will build my church. And again, that word church is simply the word ecclesia, the gathered people of God. So we are church when we are gathered this morning. We are church when we are gathered house to house. We are church when we're gathered two or three in the name of Jesus. We are church when we go into the workplace or into the neighborhood. If we are bringing in housing the kingdom of God and we're engaging what God is doing in that moment, then church is being done wherever we go. We are the gathered people of God, and we're also the the empowered people of God wherever we go. And here's what the promise is. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll say more about that later. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, Peter, and this church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so let's break this down because it's so key that we anchor in this morning. So we start off with that. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection, the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then he asked a question again. Do you believe this? And that word belief means this to trust in, rely upon and cling to. When you believe in Jesus, you trust in him, you, re- you rely on him, and you cling to him. It's not just a theological understanding, though that is essential and central. I understand that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. Therefore, I am trusting by faith in my salvation for eternity. That is absolute central truth. But by the Holy Spirit, he has come to live and to dwell among us so that we may know him as the resurrection, the life not to come, but the resurrection, the life for today. And when we say, I believe in Jesus, I trust in, rely upon, and cling to him. So my question today is, how much are you believing in Jesus versus believing in the world to carry you through the day? If I trust in, rely upon, and cling to Jesus, then I am entrusting him to be my life source. I'm trusting to be my strength, my help, my hope, my everything. And the scripture would say, abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. For apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And the balance to that scripture, to that, to that thought is this, is that there's a lot of stuff you can do without Jesus. It's just not worth it. And it just doesn't satisfy and it doesn't have the power that's intended to, and it'll always be less than God meant for you. Wow. So we believe in Jesus, we trust and rely upon and cling to him, and we anchor in to him and with him. 
Um, several years ago, uh, we had a college student that started coming to one of our life groups. And um, this guy would uh, say in retrospect, or later, he would say, I, I was the worst nightmare for the life group. You know, I would always sabotage it with my questions. He was uh, atheist slash agnostic, and he would always ask questions and somebody would get going a good direction and he would kind of throw a wrench in it. But, they, they, but the people loved him. I mean, this life group said, we, we are called to Robert. We're going to stay with him. We're going to hang with him. And he really felt loved. So he would keep showing up at all the events. He would show up at morning prayer and just stand there in, in the corner. And he would show up at life group. So this happened for a whole semester. And I, cause I was in several places where students, uh, we were college pastors at the time where they were saying, pray for Robert, pray for Robert. And, um, so it comes to World Mandate, which was February of that year. So they've been carrying this dude all these months. And he came to World Mandate, okay? Again, if, if you not, haven't been to World Mandate, that's coming up next month. You want to get involved, connect to what God's doing. It's the, one of the most powerful things we do uh, every year. But Robert, uh, he uh, came to World Mandate, and he's standing in the food line on the, on the uh, second day, and he's asking this question. Uh, question, because again, how many times have they prayed for him, shared the gospel with them? And he said, God, if this is real, if you're really real, if Robert matters to you, if I matter to you, I need somebody to tell me that you love me. And he said, I don't know why I said that. I just, that was the prayer in my heart. So I'm standing there in line. He said, this sophomore girl in college, they'd never met before, walked over and said, I, I, I know this is awkward, but I just felt like God told me to come right now and tell you that he loves you. And, and he's just like, oh my goodness. I mean, his eyes are big. He's like, oh my goodness. And he turns to his friend and he said, well, that's it. I'm in. And so they pray. He prays to receive Jesus powerful time. He goes to the service that night. It's a call to the nations. He feels called to the Middle East, to the Muslims of the world. He asked God what to do. And God said, I want you to serve in the inner city for two years. He helps with our original work here in our neighborhood for two years. Then he goes to the Middle East and he was a part of a move of God and is a part of a move of God. He and his wife that hundreds and hundreds of Muslims have come to the Lord. It's spread out throughout the Middle East. And God has used him powerfully off that one revelation that Jesus loves him. And then ultimately his response to that message. We were, he was uh, in staff meeting recently sharing when they were on furlough. And, um, and we, we were saying, hey, what's God doing in this hour? He said, he said, I'm asking God, I'm asking Jesus that I would love him more. And he's helping me. And then tears go down his face. 20 years on the field seeing moves of God that any of us would just read about. And he's saying, I want to love Jesus more. Hey, we never tire of anchoring in, of believing again by faith in Jesus. And if you're here and you've never believed, trusted, and rely upon or clung to Jesus, then today's your day of salvation because who knows what God might do for his purpose in and through your life. So he said, who do you say that I am? Peter had the right response. And then he says, on that revelation, Peter, of what you understand of me, I will build my church. I will express my glory and my kingdom, not only through you, but for all time. Now, let me just do a little bit review 
uh, of church. And we talked a moment about it earlier. And that is this. Remember, again, in the Old Testament, you have Israel. This is how God expresses himself. In the New Testament, you have the people of God everywhere of, in, in the name of Jesus. Everybody that's gathered in the name of Jesus is the church and expresses that uh, for his glory. And I think it's unique that God uses uh, specific imagery to try to communicate to us what it means to be anchored in is not only a child of God, but what it means to be anchored in as the people of God. So here's some of the imagery that he uses. He says, we as the church, we as the people of God, which by the way, if you're here today and you're born again and you trust in Jesus, you are a part of this church. I mean, not just Antioch, Waco, but I mean, you're a part of the church of Jesus. Anyone who names the name of Jesus worldwide is a part of the church. And when we actually believe that and lean into that and give ourselves as a part of that, we begin to see the expression of his glory expand. This is the way that God created us. So here's the first image. He says that we are his body, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. It says Jesus is the head of his church. He's the brain center of everything. And him all things consist and, we hold all th- all th- and he holds all things together. And, and his life is what makes us uh, who we are. So when you are rightly connected to Lord Jesus, then that arm works exactly as it was intended. And those legs work and that mouth works and those ears work. And everybody has a part because you're a part of the body. One of the greatest lies of the devil is to consistently tell you you're worth nothing or you are not needed as a part of what God's doing. That's like saying, I don't need my big toe. If I did not have a big toe, I would fall over consistently. If I didn't have a hand, I couldn't move. I didn't have an eye, I couldn't see. Every person who is born again, is a part of Christ's body by his choosing. And the reason he uses that imagery is that you would know that you are not just doing your best religiously to work your way to God, but he has connected himself by the spirit of God. So you can't get away from him. You are his body. And in the, in the sovereignty of God, he has chosen to do very few things without his body. Right, it'd be really weird if just the head was going around. That'd be creepy, right? That's like a horror show or something. But God is not one-dimensional. He has a beautiful expression of his glory through his people and the gifts that God has created us for. Here's another one, again, very familiar. We talk about this a lot. We are also called his bride. He uses the marriage covenant to describe his union and communion with his people so that we are, again, are not just trying to do the best we can, but we are connected to a faithful covenant-keeping bridegroom. And we, as the bride, respond and adapt to and conform to him. And out of that union and communion, people see Jesus. All right, y'all didn't get that. So here's a scripture, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ in the church. All right, so here we go, everybody. Um, And again, for dudes, this is a little bit weird, but just hang with it, right? This is the word of God. And so here's everybody in this room is married. If you know Jesus. 
And ultimately, when you die, there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast of all feasts. You've been to a really fancy wedding. That was really cool. I hope my wedding's big and cool and all that stuff. Man, when you die, you will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bible says. And it'll be the feast of all feasts where you will celebrate with the King of Kings forever and ever. You are, you, you literally, he calls himself married to you, not in, not in uh, some physical, uh, you know, intimate sense in that way, but he's married to you by faith and covenant so that you know that you are never alone. We went over this a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to know that you have been divinely married into the family, connected to Jesus for his glory and for your satisfaction and pleasure in the holiest of ways so that you would know that you're not just out there drifting, but you're connected. And anytime you kind of wake up and say, I'm drifting, all you got to do is run back. And he always receives you back in the house. Always. Whoa. He's such a faithful bridegroom, such a faithful covenant keeper that you could drift for years. And in a moment, if you'll come back to him, he'll receive you with joy and weeping because he's been waiting for this day all his life. All his life. His life is eternal. Okay. You get what I'm saying? Again, I want to say it again. I think we are not comprehending who we are in Christ, how he has decided to connect himself to us. So we are his church. We're his body. We're connected, called the body of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ. And then there's other interesting one in first Peter. I love Peter. The drifter says this in first Peter two, he says, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. So we're not only the body of Christ, we're not only the bride of Christ, we are also the living stones of God so that the house of God, the, 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 the presence of God can be made manifest everywhere that we go when we connect rightly to his body and to his purpose and plans. So you have a physical home, that's a place where the glory of God dwells. You have a purpose as a teacher and educator, that's where the glory of God dwells. If you look around, where are the other believers? How do we rightly connect and contend together for this school? Or how do we rightly connect for this neighborhood? You know, I want to say this too, you guys, we are not in competition with any church in this city. We are in complementation with every church in this city that names the name of Jesus and the people of God in this city because we are all needed, not just in Antioch, Waco, but in every other church that names the name of Jesus because there's a holy net that God's trying to create in every space and every place. And so one of the questions you should ask as you go out into your neighborhood, your workplace, your sports field or whatever, who else here believes in Jesus Let's get together and pray that the glory of God might be manifest here. And the unity then is built around the mission of God, uh, not just the ideas of God. That's a whole nother preach. All right, I'm holding back. So that what? We are the body, we're the bride, we're the building of God, so that 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You, of course, Jeremy knows that, right? Uh, 
Everybody in this room who names the name of Jesus, you are a, we are now a holy nation. That's not arrogance. That is the way God set it up so that his glory can be made manifest. This is the New Testament. So he's saying what in the Old Testament, you were trying to build a kingdom around a, a, a military king and a, and, a, and a space and a place and just a people is now for all people who name the name of Jesus. And now you're a new expression of a holy nation when the people of God gather in the name of Jesus so that the nations might see the glory of God. So we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. All right, don't miss this one because here's the deal. It is in your best interest to know Jesus and follow the word of God. You will be a better person and more helpful to all of us if you'll do that. Now, that is, that is beautiful. But remember, it's for his glory because we didn't create ourselves. We didn't save ourselves. We are a people for his possession, for his glory. And the message is not come and thrive, it's come and die so that you might thrive as he intended, not how you designed it. This is, this is, this is huge, you guys, because we need you. He, he needs us. And he, he made every way to provide that we would be for his possession and for his glory. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and said, I'm worshiping and meeting with Jesus for his glory? to put a smile on his face. He is worthy of worship. That's why I'm getting up and having a devotional life. He is worthy to be loved and honored and he wants to do something through my life today. So I'm gonna connect with him, not for my end, but for his end. And the byproduct of this, you guys, is that God will bless you. He blesses you to be a blessing. God will honor that and you will be fruitful and you will find satisfaction in the workplace and the different things that God's called you to do. But remember, it's unto his glory. So if you're stuck in your life, if you're stuck in the plans that you're trying to figure out, well, do I do this, do I do that? Look, and here's the best prayer. I'm gonna say to all the college students, here's the best prayer. God, what will give you the greatest amount of glory and help the most amount of people? I'm in. Now we're a possession for his glory. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We are a holy nation. That is just such a blow away. A people for God's own possession so that what? We may proclaim the excellency of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love this. I love this. Just a little aside here, I was reminded of when we, we planted a church in, DC, in Washington, D.C., and some of you guys, even that word, you're like, ah, you know, I'm with the D.C. Um, <laughs> spend your time interceding and living for Jesus instead of griping about everybody. There's a need right now for the people of God to be the people of God. So one of our guys uh, worked in the Senate, and he felt called a uh, Daniel calling. And he said, God, what do I do? And, and, and the Lord spoke to him to carry his Bible everywhere he went. So he had a big Bible like this. And he was a, a staff person for a very well-known senator. And he ended up driving him around a lot. And he would have the Bible on his dashboard, like a big one, not, not like a little Gideon slip it under the seat deal, uh, like a big Bible. And this senator said uh, um, to him, um, hey, why do you have that big Bible? He said, I'm a believer too. I get it. But, you know, you don't, do you have to have that big of a Bible on the dashboard? Uh, <laughs> 
And he said, well, I feel called to be a Daniel in the midst of government. And if I don't show my cards early, I'll acquiesce later. If I'm not clear about who I am and what I stand for, I will, I know myself well enough. I won't stand up in the day. So this Senator said, well, tell me what you're learning. And he said, and, and uh, our friend who was in his early 20s said, well, I'm practicing the presence of God by a guy named Brother Lawrence. And he said, well, what if we read that together? So for months, they went through practicing the presence of God together. Every time they would drive from the Senate to an appointment or wherever, because God raises up Daniels in the midst of the lion's den for his glory when people see themselves on mission instead of just trying to survive or try to make a way for themselves somewhere. Wow. That's good. Where was I? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Proclaim the actions of his, it was called you out of darkness in marvelous light. For you were once were not a people. You once were drifting, disconnected, no hope in this world, but now you are the people of God. Anyone who names the name of Jesus is a son or daughter of the Lord by faith, of God by faith. You had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. That's why we bless and pray for one another and contend for one another because the mercy of God has been shown to us. So we show mercy to one another. And when we do that, we find ourselves leaning into one another instead of pulling away from one another. And that is the very desire of God and the design of God. Well, back to Matthew 16, it says, um, And I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. For 2,000 years, the church has survived persecution, wars, honor, dishonor, failures, brokenness, ups, downs, all around. The church will never be stopped because Jesus said it will never be stopped. For those who anchor into Jesus and those who anchor into the church, people will drift away. People will be swept away by the things and the storms of life unless they anchor in. But God will always find somebody to anchor in. He will always find a people for his own glory because he will fulfill what he declared will be true until the end of the age, till we see him face to face. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In 2020, Difficult time, of course, for uh, all of us and body of Christ as well. And uh, this particular day, I was with a group of our young people who have prayed for the last two and a half years, almost every evening. Uh, They've been contending in a lot of ways. I was so proud of them. They carried us through 2020 more than you know. And, um, And so I was meeting with them and we were talking about what is God doing. And while I'm talking, I have a picture in my mind of a Doppler radar. And if you guys know Doppler radar, that's where they show the storms and all that and green and red and yellow and all, all that stuff. And, um, and, and as I'm, I'm praying and talking to them, I'm talking about Doppler radar. What I didn't know is they had had that exact same picture in intercession months earlier. And so they were like, whoa, you know, all that good stuff. And so I'm, and I'm saying, here's what I'm seeing. And what I, what I saw was in the, in, on the front end of the storm. So if you know anything about hurricanes, Excuse me, if you're a meteorologist, please show me mercy here. But the front end of the storm 
um, there's wind and waves and all kinds of crazy stuff. And in my mind's eye, as I'm praying for this group, I see a, a boat going through the storms and people were being shaken, winds and waves. And, and, and of course, some people got thrown overboard. But if that little boat made it through the storm and it was coming into the eye of the storm, and again, growing up in Southeast Texas or, or in Beaumont, I, I, we were in many hurricanes and the eye of the storm would come over and you'd think, oh, all's great, but hang on. It, the worst part is the backside of the storm, often called the dirty side of the storm. More people die on the backside than they do on the front side. So in this vision picture from God, it was, okay, the church, if people made it through the wind and the waves, if they held on and stayed with the boat, then they've made it now to a little bit of a respite to the eye of the storm. But what do you do in the eye of the storm? If you're wise, the backside of the storm's coming. So you make sure, okay, who's on board? Who needs help? Who needs to be healed up? Who needs to be cleaned up? What's the big hole over here? We need to patch that up. We need to strengthen this boat or this ship because the backside of that storm is gonna be more aggressive than the front end and we don't want anyone to die. We wanna give people an opportunity to be rescued. And so as we're praying that through, I realize in the eye of the storm, we're getting it together. And then I see it in my mind's eye, a bit like Noah's Ark on the back end of the storm. But the deal, the difference was that we were throwing life, lifelines and, um, you know, little, um, what do you call them? Life, life preservers. What do you call them? Yep. yep that, those guys. Yeah. Uh, the, the ring, we're throwing the ring <laughs> overboard and we're rescuing people who did not know Jesus because we have a robust, potent boat that can help and rescue people in the middle of the worst storm that was worse than 2020. Now, this is not an end times doomsday talk, but here's what I'm trying to say. Culture is drifting, Western culture, faster than we have ever experienced in our lifetime. There are storms coming. There are storms that some of you are going through right now. And God has created this thing called the church that cannot be thwarted in the storm. It remains strong. It remains for those who choose. It remains potent and it remains a rescue boat for the lost. And it remains a place for people to come back to because they know where home is. And listen, my encouragement to all of us is you want to lean in. This is not like it, it, it used to be. This is not just another admonition time. Yeah, of course I need to love Jesus. Of course I need to lean into the church, people of God. God has a purpose for my life. I've, if you've been around church, you've heard that most of your life, but I am telling you, you need to anchor in. We need to anchor in. If you have not realized people are being literally caught in the riptides and lost every day, friends, loved ones, people we thought would never drift are drifting like crazy because we're not anchoring in every day and we're not leaning into the church. We're pulling the church apart and we are about constructing for the future, not deconstructing what God has called holy. So we are called to be the church because this boat makes it through every time. And then it says, um, Matthew 16, 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, you'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm not only letting you anchor in Jesus, I'm not only calling you to be a part of the community of Jesus, but I'm gonna give you keys to the kingdom. And that predominantly comes through intercession and prayer. And starting next week, we are, we are leaning in more than we ever have. And I can say in 40 years of ministry, in the 22, three years of this church, we are leaning in and we are gonna say, all right, Lord, make this a house of prayer for your glory. Establish us, establish us personally 
personally, establish us house to house, establish us as a beacon of light for the city, for the glory of God. This is a moment, you guys, that God is calling us into because he wants to hand out keys. If I was to go throughout here, in, in, in my mind's eye, I just see God handing out keys, whoever wants them. It's not for the, for the perfect, it's for the hungry and the humble. You will get a key to the kingdom if you come and humble yourself to God in this hour because he needs us. And again, just so you know, I understand theology. He does not need us in the totality of who he is, but he has chosen to use us. And he's chosen to need us by his love and care, purpose and plan. All right, I'm gonna turn a little corner and I wanna just march through. I said we're going one, three, five, seven. I just wanna march through what we call the five circles of church is our action, is our connection point today. Before I do, let me say, let me say this, that um, I love this quote. Uh, Life is a series of meetings that you show up for that determines your destiny. Life is a series of meetings that you show up for or don't show up for that determines your destiny. We all have time, we all have space, and we all show up at different spaces and places. It will determine your destiny. When I was a kid, my mom uh, really pushed the four food groups. Anybody know the four food groups? There's a 1970s illustration. This was actually from my health book in 1972. Here you go. You need meat, you need dairy, you need grains, you need fruits and vegetables. Some of y'all don't believe that, but it's still true. And uh, I know that there's 32 different boxes now, but this is, this was basically, this is life. All right. And mama's deal was, Hey, you eat four food groups in balance and in moderation, have different colors on the plate, and you're going to be healthy and be able to go and be academically sharp. You'll be able to have strength to play sports. You'll be able to have what you need. And she wouldn't have said it this way as an unbeliever, but to do the purpose of God for your life. There's a, there's a healthy way that the body is fed in order to be balanced and be able to do what it's called to do. Okay. So in this five circles of church, I want to just briefly go through what, and and if we've said the four food groups, here are the four circles that lead to the fifth one, which is your purpose and your destiny. Okay, you ready? Just go with me. It'll make sense. The first meeting we show up at, the first thing that we need is me and Jesus. There is no substitute for your own devotional life with Jesus. This is not about what you should or shouldn't do, whether you're loved or not loved. This is about need. I need him. And in order to abide in him, in order to um, walk with him throughout the day, I need to be anchored in morning by morning. One of my favorite scriptures is Acts 4.13, where it says, they saw Peter and John as trained and uneducated men, but they saw them as as having been with Jesus. (laughs) They were with him. They were seeking him. Therefore, people saw him. So again, let me encourage you, me and Jesus, and we're going to spend a lot of time. And one of the things I'm going to start doing, um, starting uh, next week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'll be meeting with a group of friends in the prayer center at lunch on Tuesdays and at lunch on Thursday for eight straight weeks and modeling how to spend time alone with the Lord. So if you've never connected, never really know what that looks like, come on, join us, or you just need to be resharpened and re-engaged. We're going to be modeling. We're going to be going for it, me and Jesus. Next circle is two and three in Jesus, uh, Matthew 18. If two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. 
I just paused for a second. I just had a thought, I want to get together with two or three people today because <laughs> I want to be in the midst of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. He's here in the house. He is here when we gather in his name. Two or three, in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Timothy says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things you've uh, entrusted you, now entrust to faithful men who will go do the same. Disciple making, Carl did a great job last week talking about that. The only thing I want to say about that is this, is when we get together in two and threes, what is the thing that we need to consistently do? We need to be talking together in those smaller settings with each other saying, all right, how are you and Jesus doing? Look up, look in. Hey, what sin is hindering you? And it doesn't matter what the sin is. And it, it just matters that we're honest about where we are and we're confessing it so that God can take care of it. We have honest relationships. Somebody needs to know everything or the enemy's eating your lunch and where you are not communicating. Whatever's darkness, I promise you, the enemy is eating your lunch there. So who is that person that you share your journey with and your heart with? Look, look up, look in, and look out. That key one. All right, who am I investing in? How am I helping them? Right? Because you're a part of the body of Christ. Because you matter. Because where you show up every week matters. Who are the people around you? You're trying to get into the rescue boat. Who are the people that need help? Believer or non-believer? So we have basic discipleship happens um, in groups of two and three. Then the third circle is life group for us. But really, all this is is Acts 2, 42 through 47. And again, if you've been around with us, you know we have been on this from the beginning of the church. And actually, if you were with us before, the 10 years previous before that. And here's the reason that we stay focused on life group. Because Acts 2, 42 through 47, after the Spirit of God fell, they began to gather house to house. And what they couldn't do individually, what two and three people could do, there was this need to be the body. And they would pray together. They'd break bread together. They would carry one another's burdens. They would share financial uh, issues together. They kept feeling a sense of all. All the gifts of the Spirit could be used in a smaller group setting. And it said that it was so powerful that people were being added day by day, those who were being saved. And whether you've had that experience not or yet, or you've yet to have that experience, let me encourage you to be a part of a small group community that is contending for an Acts 2 reality so that the world can see Jesus again and we can be strengthened and helped and built up as the people of God. This is the way that God works around the world. No matter whether people can gather in a large setting like this, people are meeting house to house. Those house churches multiply and people literally are being added to the Lord day by day. And one of my great joys has been through the years being in different places, not only locally, but around the world where we're meeting and gathering. Somebody knocks at the door. I've had this happen many times. Somebody will knock on the door and, and it'd be a neighbor or a friend and they, they walk in and they say, well, what, uh, what do you need? And they said, well, we just heard the singing or we saw all the cars and we want to know what's going on here. And um, and this one particular lady, I remember her stepping in and she said, I don't know why I'm here. And the leader was wise enough to say, you're here because Jesus is doing something in your heart. And she said, well, who's Jesus? And she explains who Jesus is. And she said, "These these are his people. And they bring her into the living room. She stands in the middle and shares her heart. Everybody prays for her. She falls to her knees. She cries out to Jesus and was a part of that group for two straight years after that. Got her life transformed, her kids transformed. Now that doesn't happen in all your life groups. I know that. But what I'm trying to say by DNA, it can happen. Because Acts 2, 40 through 
through 47, the DNA of the church is inside of that. And as we log into that, we begin to see the extraordinary uh, miracles of God. One of the ways that we're also going to engage you guys in these coming days is in two weeks from now, I think we've got a little QR code. You can put up. If you're not in a life group, grab the QR code. I'm not looking who's not in a life group. Don't worry about it. Uh, you can <laughs> put, put your, again, just grab your phone, QR code. We are going to be meet in here or in the children's area. And literally we're just going to talk about Acts 2, 42 through 47, break into literal life groups, small groups within the group. Uh, uh, and then we're going to launch you out as life groups to our city. I mean, it is going to be powerful. So I want to connect you to that. All right. Rocking along here for the church gathered. What happens individually is one thing. What happens in twos and threes, God moves in a certain way. What happens house to house, God moves in a certain way. And when we gather in the name of Jesus like this, there's something that's unique about it. I love it. I don't know if you do, but I love it. And it just worshiping together, when, when I see everybody just extending their hearts, I'm like, whoa. And what happens every week and this is not an exaggeration. Every week, whether they go to the Connect Center or up here when they get prayed for, people walk in here and say, I don't know why I showed up here. I showed up and there's a presence here. What is it? Every week, somebody either comes to Jesus or comes back to Jesus or experiences the presence of God or gets set free from a drug addiction. I mean, God, just, just the other day, he was an addict and he... and um. He was 51 days sober and he walked into Anna. He felt called to come here. He walked in and he, and he wanted to get connected. And somewhere in the, in the, I don't know when it was in the service, he went out to go to the bathroom and he put his Bible down on uh, the counter. And it's, it was recovery Bible. And Jason Ramos, if you guys know Jason, leads our Impact Waco. Jason said he came out, just to be honest, he came out of the stall. He's washing his hands and says, Oh, I see you got a recovery Bible. What's that about? And the guy said, well, I was in Lubbock. That's where Jason was in prison. And it's where he met the Lord. They began to talk and connect. Jason connects him to what's going on here. This guy, not only is his life being rocked and transformed, he's starting another group with a group of guys. And all of a sudden he's connected by the Holy Spirit because we gathered in the name of Jesus and God's using him powerfully through other people's lives. All righty. Now here's the deal. Okay, this, I've been waiting this whole time just for this next illustration. All right, and, and we're about to end, about to end. So you go through it and then, so what? So we'll live on mission. So we'll live on mission. Can you just put that last slide up there, the mission side? So when we are healthy, remember four food groups, when I'm healthily connecting with God, when I'm healthily honest with two or three people, when I'm healthily in a community, when I'm healthily gathering in the name of Jesus, God uses all of these things biblically and practically to give you strength and power in the Holy Spirit so that wherever you go, the kingdom of God and its rule and reign is expressed. Workplace, government, social justice, healthcare, sports, education, family, arts, media, and neighborhood. And I want to say it again, and I want to say it this way as again, if you spend all your energy griping and complaining about all those fears of society and doing nothing about it, nothing's ever going to change. Because remember, we are the hope of the world. That is not arrogance. That is God's choosing. The church is the answer to the brokenness of mankind in the heart, in the home, and in the city, and in the nations. So we need to spend our energy leaning in to Jesus and his purpose and his plan in and through the mission of God for our lives. You matter. We need you. God needs you. It is a beautiful day to be alive. It is also a terrible day because of the brokenness and the challenge. But we are called not to drift, but to anchor in like never before. 
All right, one last story, and then I really will end. Mm, um, yes, and then we're going to pray fast. All right, here we go. Um, in January, we had a, um, uh, the groundbreaking for a beautiful home called the Reagan. You guys have heard a little bit about it. Unbound celebrating their 10-year anniversary. And the Reagan is a short-term residential facility for women who have come out of uh, sexual brokenness, trafficking, just terrible stuff. 12 to 17 years old, and we need a place for them. There's only one other one in the state. And God put it on our Unbound team's heart to begin to pray about that. They've been praying about it for a while. And then on a Sunday morning, Blake Henry, construction guy in town, texts Susan and says, do you guys need a house for something? I feel like God's saying to offer a house for something y'all are doing. So we're able to connect with Blake. And um, on this particular day in January, the groundbreaking, um, it's like a slow motion to me on everybody living on mission. And here's what happened. The MC was a guy named Rick Tullis. Many of you guys know Rick and Elizabeth. They, he owns a company here in town. But I remember in 1995 when he came to our life group as a young married couple. And Rick said, all my friends are going to the nations. I don't know what I'm... He said, but I feel called to Waco. I feel called to invest in business and what God's doing here. And our whole admonition, well, then live on mission, man. Then God's called you. Let's see this for the glory of God. And Rick and his partners have desired to do that in and through their business. But he's also been involved in Waco ISDs and involved in local politics, different things that God has led him to out of that commitment to live on mission, just like we send missionaries around the world. Then the next person up was Dylan Meek. I mean, you guys know Dylan. He's the mayor of our city. But I remember Dylan when he was a young single guy, young lawyer, and he went to a life group just down the street here. And he began to be a part of what God was doing in our neighborhood. He got a heart for our neighborhood. And then he ran for city council, became our city councilman for this neighborhood, and then eventually became the mayor. And I realized that everything was birthed in him through the life group and through that, that, that clarity about you are on mission, you matter. So God is using him powerfully to serve our city um, in that space as well. Then, um, then while we're going along, the, then the law enforcement got up and spoke and, and they talked about how God was doing something in their hearts. And then, of course, Susan, our director, got up and spoke. And, um, and I remembered back in college, us praying, God, use our lives. God, we pray for the nation of the earth. We pray for the city of Waco. And all those years of intercession, everything else, it's like slow motion in that room. There is health care workers who volunteer their times. There's construction workers, there's business people. There's every sphere of society is there present so that the one might be rescued. Because the house is about this. When they get a call from CBS that somebody's been abused and needs a replacement and they need care and they need attention, we're ready to care for the one. But it took the community on mission to put that together so that the one might be rescued. God always cares about the one. He does. And that's why he's called us a people so that we have a space and a place to activate for mission here, there, and everywhere. And Unbound just opened up their office in Poland as well because it's spreading not just from our city, but our nation and the nations of the world because they've anchored in. They've anchored into Jesus, anchored in to the church, and therefore God is on mission through us for the glory of God. Woo, stand up. Here we go. Here we go. Prayer teams, come on fast. The preacher preached too long. 
like I'll talk about that like it's distant from me. Uh, all right. So we got prayer teams up here. We got prayer teams down here. Now here's what you need to know. The kingdom of God, when the word of God's preached, the power of God shows up. Hopefully you've been stirred personally, but if you are sick in your body, we're here to pray for you in the name of Jesus. Also, every Sunday, somebody gets healed. I'm not saying everybody gets healed, but we pray for people in the name of Jesus, giving God the window to work, and he works. At the very least, you'll be comforted in your sickness. At the very most, you'll see a miracle today. So if you're sick in your body, come on, if you need help. If you feel your mind is out of control, depression, fear, and especially, let me just beg you, if you have contemplated suicide this week, Today, you need to connect with somebody up there, down here. We want to help you pray over that because that is the devil. That is not God speaking to you. That's just not your voice. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes to save and to set people free. If you are struggling with depression, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, please, I beg you, do not walk out of here without somebody praying for you, and then hopefully we can connect you to the right care that you need. And lastly, while we're all just praying together here, just this moment, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. If you're online or you're here in this auditorium and you're not rightly anchored in ultimately to Jesus, I want to pray with you right now. So everybody just either coming up for prayer, you're closing your eyes with me right now and you're praying with me and you're praying about God, how may I obey you and respond to you in this moment? Lord Jesus, if you need Jesus, pray this. Lord Jesus, just pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Tell him you need him. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I give my life to you. Just pray it with me. I give my life to you. I believe, I trust in, rely upon, and cling to you right now. And I pray, God, let salvation spring up, God. I proclaim men and women free from the power of sin and death because of your work and your faithfulness right now. Thank you, God, for salvation in this house. Now, a couple things need to happen. The guys are going to come and just wrap this up with some worship. Personally, wherever you are, connect with God. If you're a parent of little ones that are over in our um, uh, children's area, if one of you will slip out, for the rest of us, let's keep pressing in here. Please don't walk out of here if you need prayer for something in your life.